How many of you were here Sunday night for Pastor Matt's message? I'm going to take it as a no. A few of you were here. You were sick. I'm very sorry to hear that. But we're glad you're here tonight. Now, Pastor Matt, and I will ask for your attention for the next 15 minutes or so uh, that I'm going to be talking, but uh, Pastor Matt, and I may slightly get the words mixed around, but I believe the title was, uh, Do You Know Where Your Children Are? Is that correct? Everybody remember this? Okay. All right. All right. Let's settle down. Rhetorical question. Nod your head in acceptance of that. So he preached about, do you know where your children are? And he talked about uh, the Bible story where uh, Mary and Joseph, they, they lose Jesus. They're traveling. They think he's with other family, friends, and they're, they're, they're traveling. Uh, and, and they show up at the end destination, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And I, I really felt in my spirit before he was preaching uh, to talk about some of the th- same things that he was talking about. And obviously the context that uh, Pastor Matt was preaching about was about the, the parents or the guardians of a home uh, obviously being that spiritual covering over the children, not only the, the literal physical children, but also spiritual children that are being raised in our church, saying, do you know where they are at? But I want to uh, maybe even add a little bit to what he said or build upon what he said, and I want to ask you, where are you? Look at your neighbor say, where are you? There comes a point in the life of every believer, and I have talked about this before, but when you have decided to live for the Lord, when you have decided to turn away from the things of this world and and not live a lifestyle full of sin and and repulsive things that God doesn't like, but when you say, I want to live for God, yes, I'm going to have my hangups, yes, I'm going to have my struggles, there comes a point where you have to make the decision for yourself that I am going to follow the Lord. It's no longer the decision that your parents have given you. It's no longer the decision that somebody else is making on your behalf because you're young and they bring you to church. But there will come a day that you need to make the decision that, you know what, I don't want to live like the world. I want to live separated unto the Lord. Now, some of you, you may fall under your parents' household tonight. You may drive home with you. You may live in their house, and they are responsible for you. But there is coming a day for you as well where you will have to make that decision for yourself. You'll have to make that decision for yourself. And so the question is, where are you? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Pastor Matt mentioned this, but, but God was using, guys in the second row, I need you to stop doing that or I'm going to ask you to leave the sanctuary and we can talk to your parents after service. You guys got it? We're good? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was this direct connection that they had with the Lord where the communication was, was very wide open, where they would walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. And then we know the story. Sin comes in. It creates a separation between them. And so what God did when he comes to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve is he asks them that question. He says, where are you? Now, we understand that God is all-knowing. Somebody say amen. God knew exactly where they were physically and spiritually. They weren't hiding. They weren't like the best hide-and-go-seek players ever that God didn't know where they were. God knew exactly where they were, but he was wanting them to realize for themselves what they had done and want to have some self-realization of where they were. Not physically. He didn't really care about their physical location as much as he cared about their spiritual location. What happened? What has caused this division between us? Where are you? Adam, where are you? We had this relationship, but now something has got between us. Why are you hiding? Eve, we had this connection. We would walk in the cool of the day, but now something has got in between us. Where 
are you? It's an important question that each and every one of us need to ask ourselves, where am I? You've got to be honest enough with yourself in your spiritual life to say, okay, where am I? Am I doing better? Am I progressing? Have I got closer to the Lord? Is my devotion time stronger than ever? Is my prayer so much more connected? Or have I backslid a little bit? Now, we don't like to use that word. It's a little bit awkward. And in a spiritual context, it's almost a derogatory word when we say somebody has backslid. How many of you can feel the negative connotation when we use that word? It's kind of a gross word. But what we, what we mean when we say somebody's backslid is they were going this way, but they've decided to go a different way. And it's very terrible when somebody understands the truth that is the Bible, when somebody is serving the Lord and they decide that they don't want to do that anymore. That's a challenging spot to be in. It's a spot that I don't wish for anybody in my family, anybody in this room, that they would know truth, but something in the world, something in their life, some root of bitterness would separate them from the Lord. It's a terrible thing. But more terrible than somebody, quote-unquote, backsliding the way that we think about it and leaving the church is the fact that we sometimes can become blind to our own spiritual backsliding nature. And what I mean by that is this. Some people decide, I don't want to live like this, and they leave. But there are other people that decide, I'm not sure I believe this anymore, but I'm going to stay. If we talk about what backsliding really means, here's, here's the best way I can put it. Have I regressed? Was my spiritual life here, but now it's here? Not way down here. Like if it's a scale, if it's a scale of, you know, 1 to 10, was I at a 6 or a 7 and I've dropped down to a 3 or a 4? Can I tell you tonight? You can come to church. You can show up on Sunday. You can show up on Wednesday. You can come to prayer meeting on Friday, but in your heart you could still be cold and callous and quote-unquote backslidden. If you have regressed, if you have taken away from your relationship with the Lord, but you're still coming to the house of the Lord, can I tell you, you don't have to leave the church to be backslidden. You can sit in a seat and not have your heart postured towards the Lord, and you're actually desiring the things of the world. And so the question is, where are you? And the reality is that we need to make sure that we're checking ourselves. We need to make sure that we are asking ourselves. Maybe it's not every day, but maybe once a week or once a month. Okay, God, let's be honest with each other. Am I getting better or am I getting worse? Am I struggling? Has it just been a rough week or a busy week and life's just piled on and school and work and family stuff? It's been busy. Or have I really just gotten a little bit cold and callous? Have I really just gotten so cold that I don't want to pray anymore? Have I gotten so cold that I don't want to read your word anymore? Has it been a few weeks or months or maybe a year since I last fast? God... How is our relationship together doing? How is our relationship together? There is a passage of Scripture, and it talks about somebody who we are very familiar with, Matthew chapter 26, verses 21 to 22. And I'm reading from the message translation tonight. But it talks about 
I won't even say his name yet. I'm just going to read the verse. It says this. After sunset, he, Jesus, and the 12 were sitting around the table. And during the meal, Jesus said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to the conspirators. And they were stunned. And they began to ask one another, it isn't me. Is it, Master? I want you to understand the picture of what is going on right now. Jesus, he is with his 12 disciples, and he tells them, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is not like the rest of you. There is somebody among this 12 that is going to do something that you cannot even imagine. And we know that that person at the end of it was Judas. Everybody say Judas. But the alarming thing to me about this story is that not the, tw- the 12 disciples didn't look and say, Jesus is probably Judas, right? Like, you know, if, if somebody's going to betray you, if somebody's going to do something that's not good, if somebody's walking with us, but they're walking the walk, but they're not really talking the talk, like, Jesus, is it Judas? Is it Judas? No, none of them said that. As a matter of fact, they all thought it was themselves. Can you imagine that these people were, were so humble, maybe even doubting them themselves or who they were? They're walking with Jesus. And so Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And nobody says, yeah, Judas, time out. You know what? We'll spare it all. We're just going to tell everybody it's Judas. We know it's coming. Nobody expected Judas. Everybody said, is it me? Which tells me, that even though Judas had something on the inside of them, there was something in the heart of Judas, there was something that got into his spirit that he had become backslidden and cold to the point that he would trade in Jesus for a bag of money. He had gotten to a place where he didn't want to walk with the Lord anymore. He was going to trade it all away for just some worldly possessions. But nobody knew it. Nobody saw the change. Nobody expected Judas. Judas Iscariot, he's ultimately known for the betrayal of Jesus that is mentioned in the gospel books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And really, he's only mentioned a handful of times in the scripture by name, but he's mentioned dozens of times in reference to the 12 disciples. And so by default, we think of him with this negative connotation because we have the ability to look at the word of God through hindsight, which is 2020. We can read the scripture because we know the end of the story. We look at the whole life of Judas and we could say, okay, maybe this guy wasn't a good guy. Maybe he always had that in him. We look at him under this negative scope and rightfully so because he's a liar, he's a deceiver, he's a phony, he's fake, he's a traitor, a murderer, a betrayer. But what often gets lost between the lines of scripture is who Judas really was. Judas was one of the 12. He was one of the people that dropped everything in his entire life to follow Jesus. He left his family. He left his career. He literally left everything to willingly follow Jesus. Judas was not held against his will. Judas was handpicked by Jesus to be one of the disciples. And Judas rightfully accepted the invitation and left everything else behind. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it tells us that Judas was an ordained minister, handpicked by Jesus himself. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 7 said, Judas was given power from on high to cast out demons. John chapter 6, verse 13, it talks about Judas. He facilitated miracles through his hands with the five loaves and two fish. Can I tell you that Judas was there for the miracles? It could have been the hands of Judas that broke the bread. It was the hands of Judas that passed out baskets of five loaves and two fish until there was more than they even started with. Judas was there. Judas was one of the disciples. He was highly trusted among the 12. Matter of fact, Judas was the treasurer of the group. Judas carried the money. Listen, If it's 12 guys plus Jesus and Judas is the guy carrying the money, I would say they probably trusted him the most outside of Judas. He was carrying all of their money. Judas was never suspected to be the one to betray Jesus. He was never expected. Nobody pointed the finger at him. They all pointed it at themselves. Judas was never treated differently than the other 11 disciples, and Judas never raised any red flags. The Bible mentions no turmoil or spite or hatred or division between Judas and the other 11. It is noteworthy that the disciples were so perplexed. It shows that Jesus had shown love to Judas for three years, even though he knew that Judas would betray him in the end. If Jesus had even slightly treated Judas differently, if he had kind of uh, made him the, you know, the black sheep of the group or, or whatever analogy you want to use, if he kind of separated him from everybody else, maybe they would have expected it. Maybe if he had been more distant or shown some sort of resentment, maybe they would have known immediately that uh, Judas was the betrayer. If Jesus had harbored some sort of bitterness for what Judas would ultimately do because Jesus knew maybe maybe people would have expected him, but they didn't. Judas, where are you? Judas, what are you doing? How is it that you fit among the crowd? How is it that you walk with Jesus, but on the inside, something has taken a turn? Judas, where are you? Judas, he followed the same Jesus. As the other disciples, he saw the same miracles day in and day out. He saw the miracles. He heard the same words. He heard the same parables. He heard the same stories. He heard the same preaching. He heard the same teaching. But there was something in Judas' life, and it's like he couldn't even see it. Let me translate it for you this way, and I will literally just be a couple more minutes. But in our modern vernacular, Judas, Judas went to Youth Congress. Judas never missed a youth convention. He was faithfully there uh, Wednesday after Wednesday and, and prayed in the altars. Judas went to Remnant. Judas was there for Sunday service. You could always catch Judas in the altar. You could catch Judas at youth camp. You could catch him anywhere that there was church going on. But there was something that got on the inside of Judas, and it took him from the inside out. Where are you? Judas, can I tell you today that there is an agenda in our world to make us numb to the things of the Spirit? There is an agenda to make us numb to the things that God is wanting to do. Anybody ever been to the dentist and had an operation done where you had to, you know, get some freezing in your mouth? It's terrible. It hurts. It's not fun. 
I had a tooth infection within the last year, and I think that it's the most painful thing that I've experienced. And so I was happy when they were freezing me and putting needles in. It was awesome. But, but before that, I was in so much pain. I was in so much pain that I went to Sobeys because it was the only thing open on the Sunday afternoon. And I was like Googling like the strongest uh, Aura gel to put on my tooth. And it said like, you know, apply like, like this smallest amount, like, uh, you know, twice, twice a day or something. But like my teeth hurt so bad that I was putting as much on my tooth like every 30 minutes that I could because the pain was just so bad. I was just trying to take the pain away. I was just trying to numb that pain. Eventually, the dentist fixed it, and it's all good. But can I tell you this point tonight, that there is an agenda to make us numb to the things of God. Music, we can come back tonight. There is a danger, the word that we use. Everybody say lukewarm. (coughs) There is a danger in being lukewarm, and typically, the danger is that you don't realize that you're in that position. Anybody ever heard of a kind of a, a new thing or more popular thing lately, but uh, sensory deprivation tank? How many of you have heard of it? Show of hands if you have. Now, I don't know all of the science behind it, but what I do understand is that they try to get the water um, you know, parallel or to the same temperature as, as um, I believe, the, the temperature of your body on the outside so that it, you literally, like, it's almost like you can't feel the water. And they put, you know, salts in it so that you float. And the point is literally that uh, you're sitting in this tank or laying down in this tank and you can't feel anything and you can't see anything. And you can choose to put some music on, they tell me, if you want to. Um, But you're just sitting there floating. You can't feel anything. There's water, but you can't feel it because they're trying to match everything on the outside to what's on the inside of you. And when that happens... It's like everything just becomes lukewarm. It's like it doesn't even exist. When we talk about lukewarm, we talk about the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. They were a lukewarm church. They were a lukewarm church. And the problem with being lukewarm is that you typically don't remember. You don't even realize that you're lukewarm because it's comfortable. It just feels okay. It's not, it's not too hot. You know, you're not praying for six hours a day. It's not too cold. It's not that you're not praying at all. Like, you still love God, if I could put it that way. But there is this agenda just to make the church that we're a part of. I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about just these people. But there is an agenda just to numb us to the things of the Spirit, just to throw all of this stuff at us and the world's agenda and everything that it believes in. Can I tell you tonight, I want to remind you absolutely that biblical truth is still biblical truth and it doesn't matter what the world says and it doesn't matter what the world pushes on us. If the Bible says it's good, it's good and if the Bible calls it sin, it's sin. But the world pushes and pushes and pushes. And it just tries to make us so spiritually numb that we can come into the presence of the Lord and not feel anything at all. Not feel anything at all. Just like Judas, you can come to church and in your heart of hearts, in your spirit, you could be lost. You could come to Wednesday night service week after week after week after week unmoved by the presence of God. But it's, it's okay. The preaching is good, and we celebrated. People got baptized. People got filled with the Holy Ghost on Sunday. That's awesome. 
but there's nothing happening on the inside of you. I want to ask you this one question tonight as we close. Would you stand with me? I want you to be honest with yourself. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Where am I? Where am I in my relationship with God? Give yourself an internal grade on a scale of 1 to 10. How am I doing? When was the last time that, that I picked up my Bible? When was the last time that I even took 10 or 15 minutes to pray? When was the last time that I took a fast for a day? I know it's hard. It wasn't meant to be easy. Where are you? Where are you? Because like we said at the beginning of this service, God wants to use you. God does not desire for any young person in this room just to come in week after week and go through the motions and you just live this nice life and and you're faithful to church and it's all good and, and you get to heaven. Can I tell you that God desires to put giftings and abilities on the inside of you by the power of his spirit that you can't even imagine. Can I tell you that God wants to use you to pray for the sick and have them recover right in front of you? I'm not talking about when you're 25. I'm not talking about when you're 32. I'm not talking about when you're in your 60s and retired and have some free time. I'm talking about God wants to use you like that today. So be honest with yourself and just say, God, where am I? Because if there's more, I want it. God, if I'm leaving anything on the table, if my heart has become lukewarm to the things of the Spirit. I want more. Where are you? Would you come around this altar with me tonight? We're going to pray together just as we did when we opened. And I want this just to be a moment of reflection in your life. And we're going to link up together again. We don't need our singers, but we will uh, just play in the background for a moment. And it is 7.59, so we do have just a few minutes for this. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Find somebody to pray with when you get here. And I just want your attention for the next few minutes. I want you to pray for that person beside you. I want you to pray for them. You can pray in the spirit if you want. But can I tell you, there's something so powerful about laying hands on your friend, your brother, your sister, and and literally just prophesying over them and saying, God, I just pray that you would use Marcus. God, I pray that you would use Gavin. God, I pray that you would use Josh. God, I pray that you would use him. Whatever it is, can you just join with somebody next to you right now? Ask yourself that question, but also pray for them that God would light a fire on the inside of them. Can we all pray right now? Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that we feel in this room tonight. God, we all desire to be used in your kingdom. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word and the teachings and principles that we can glean from it in this moment tonight. And God, I'm just asking and and I'm just praying that we would be open and honest with ourselves tonight. God, show me where I am. But God, don't just show me where I am, but show me where you want to take me. God, show me where I am today, but God, I pray that you would just put a little bit of a burden or a vision or just something into the spirit of a young person in this room tonight that makes them realize God has bigger plans for me than just going through the motions, and God has bigger plans for me than to just go to university and get a good job that I like. God has more in store for me than just coming to church every week or a couple times a week. God has more in store for me. Lord Jesus, 
I pray for every young person in this room tonight. I thank you for your presence that is in this room and moving and speaking and ministering in this moment. God, I pray that this would be a time of reflection. God, that we would be open and honest with ourselves to say, God, where am I? If I'm cold, if I've moved away, if I've backslid, if I've regressed, if I've turned back, God, I'm coming back to you tonight. God, if I've taken five steps forward, but 10 steps back, God, I'm going to make some ground tonight and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to consecrate my life to you. I don't want to just go through the motions. God, I want to be used for, for your kingdom by the power of your spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray blessings. God, I pray, God, that you would raise up young people in this room that would do exploits for your kingdom. I believe that there are preachers. I believe that there are missionaries. I believe that there are Sunday school teachers. I believe that there are ushers. I believe that there is every fold of ministry represented in this room tonight. But God, I just pray and I push back against this world and the pressures involved with it that are coming against this generation. And we plead your blood and say, God, we want to be used by your kingdom. We want to be filled with the spirit and we want to be used in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In your own way, would you just ask the Lord that he would use you in his kingdom? We sing that old song, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. We're not going to sing it, but could you just make that a prayer in your own words? God, I'm available. God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to help build your kingdom. God, I want to help reach the lost. God, I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. God, I want to see miracles and signs and wonders. God, I want to cast out spirits upon people that are troubled. God, people that are troubled and bound in their mind. I want to lay hands on them and see those spirits go. God, I desire to be used by you. And so I just say, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being in youth tonight. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you have never had the opportunity to be baptized in the name of Jesus, can I tell you that tonight could be your night. If you've never been filled with the gift of the Spirit or you need to understand what that is more, come and see me. We can talk about it. God has a plan for your life. God bless you in Jesus' name.